testimony is a blessing. Amen. My wife and I served for 12 years at a camp in northern Wisconsin, Camp Chatech. She would, uh, anybody need a, a stewardship booklet? Go ahead and raise your hand and I'll tell my little story of that when she was passed out. Uh, my wife fed about uh, somewhere near 400 people a week uh, at the camp. One of the things we learned about Christian camping is it is one of the best environments to make a spiritual decision. And the kids uh, had already identified that. You are, you come out of a world of distractions and spend a lot of time focusing on your spiritual growth and particularly your relationship with the Lord. And uh, I've had the privilege of preaching at the Wilds before, and I can tell you this, they, uh, they excel in that ministry there. Uh, one of the, the uh, little mottos they use that to me it really illustrated a lot of their heart was this, we take our humor seriously. Now think about that. And what that means or translates to is they spend an enormous amount of time planning and practicing the ministry that they're going to have with people. And uh, so even the skits are well planned out. And uh, they're not just humorous. They teach a very significant lesson. And uh, so I'm, I'm glad that our kids uh, are experiencing the ministry of the wilds. And let me just exhort uh, some of the parents in here for just a moment. Um, it's going to be about a year before the kids go back to the wilds. And, and that's a good thing in this sense. It gives you plenty of time to plan. Plan the time away for your kids and begin to prepare, saving some money to send them to camp. Put your kids to work a little bit to go to camp and make camp a priority. What is more important in your life as a parent than the spiritual growth of your kids? Is there anything more important than that? Boy, and we have a great opportunity. I'm grateful for our pastor putting the priority on camp and for Zach and, and his ministry with the kids. They're doing a great job. And uh, we need to give them all the support we can. All right. That's not in my sermon tonight. Uh, we're going to try to piece together a couple of uh, principles over the next couple of weeks that will complete our series on uh, sequential priorities of biblical stewardship. If you have your little booklet with you, we are uh, going to be looking at page 16 tonight and following. Uh, but I want to remind you of some of what we talked about in the previous messages before we get to the, the principle that we're going to look at tonight. Uh, by the way, you can watch these messages uh, in the series by going to the Bluegrass website. And uh, I would encourage you to, to use uh, that website. I, I look at a lot of the sermons that we have there and I go back and I sent links to, to friends that I know uh, would be helped by some of the messages that we hear. So uh, I would encourage you to get familiar with the website and, and use those messages to advance the kingdom of God. This series of messages, I think, is, is really vital to a person's understanding of their responsibility 
of being a biblical steward. I've, I've shared with a lot of pastors the importance of teaching biblical stewardship or teaching about money. Let's just put it where the rubber meets the road. And you know what? Most pastors are very reluctant to teach about money because they don't want to be perceived as being after somebody's money. Well, when you think about what's ahead for all of us as believers, the judgment seat of Christ, uh, we're not going to be judged there for our sin. Thank God that was nailed to the cross, right? But what will we be judged for? We're going to be judged for our service and our stewardship. And so it's very important to understand the will of God as it relates to personal stewardship because someday you'll stand before the Lord and give account for your stewardship. And I remind you that uh, stewardship is management. It's really the care for and use of all the resources that God places in your care. And so we want to make sure that we one day hear that that uh, famous phrase from the lips of, of Jesus, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Wouldn't that be nice to hear that? It's possible. And uh, your will and discipline have a lot to do as to whether you will hear that or not. These lessons are practical. They're kind of where the, the rubber meets the road lessons. Uh, by the way, uh, it's discipleship's truth, isn't it? We heard about that this morning. It was interesting to me. I, I knew what I'd be speaking about tonight. And uh, in Sunday school, Wes touched one of the passages we're going to be looking at. And Pastor touched another one this morning. And uh, it just reminded me how saturated the Bible is with instruction on handling the things that God entrusts to our care. There's a lot written in the Bible about stewardship and about money. There's more written in the Bible about money than there is about heaven, hell, and love combined. So it's a very important subject, and we need to make sure that we do our best to learn it and to practice it. Uh, I'll remind you, we started uh, this series with some questions, and they're really questions to kind of stir our conscience and uh, stir our will, really. The first question was, do I want to fully understand the will of God regarding my financial stewardship? Do you want to? And some people say, well, I don't want to because then I won't have to give account for it. Who told you that? You've been reading the devil's Bible if you believe that. And you will give account for your stewardship. So let's, uh, let's desire to get in and learn it. Uh, here's a second question. Is it possible that my ignorance of this matter or my disobedience to it is robbing me of God's blessing? Wow, you wouldn't want to miss the blessing of God, would you? Well... Think about Malachi the prophet saying, will a man rob God? We wouldn't think of robbing God, would we? Why would we think of robbing ourselves of God's blessing? How foolish would that be? And then we looked at a question, is my heart surrendered? Am I ready to learn? Now really, that's what it takes to, to learn stewardship is a surrendered heart. Uh, one of the things that amazes me is that somebody like me can even learn this stuff. It's not rocket science. It's not difficult to learn. Uh, the difficulty comes in the discipline of doing it. 
And then uh, that leads to a question, am I handling the resources the Lord has entrusted to my care in a way that meets his approval? And will I hear those words at the judgment seat of Christ? A lot of times we make the word of God of no effect in our lives because we refuse to do it. And that's sad. Think of it. We have an instruction book on how to be a, a good biblical steward. But if we don't look at the instruction book and learn what it says, we're just hurting ourselves. So one of the rules of biblical interpretation, I mentioned this in the beginning of the series, is the law of first mention. Uh, as we go through the word of God, uh, there will be a concept or uh, a truth that is mentioned, and it will be perhaps in its simplest and clearest form the first time it's mentioned. And then the Bible then builds on that foundation, and doctrines are more fully developed in, uh, uh, in the subsequent chapters and books of the Bible. And that's what, what this message, the series of messages, is about. We're looking at the law of first mention. What, uh, what did God mention first? And by seeing what he mentions first, and then second, and then third, we get our sequential priority list. In other words, here's the sequence that God wants us to follow as we practice our biblical stewardship. And it doesn't matter how much or, or how little a person has, it's what they do with what they have. And uh, the sequence works at every level of income or responsibility. The five timeless truths of scripture that we're presenting then follow that interpretation of the law of first mention. And they provide for us a framework, really, by which we can make good, prioritized financial decisions as we manage God's stuff. And the premise of the series, I, I wrote it out like this. How am I to prioritize my financial stewardship? There are biblical principles that provide a priority sequence for the care and use of all that God provides to me in order to manage his stuff for his glory. And that's the ultimate goal, is that God gets the glory for everything that we do. So we looked at Genesis chapter 1 to find our first principle and a priority, and the first principle is this. God is a God of order, sequence, and priority. And therefore, giving back to God is our first financial priority and privilege. And uh, you know what? If you give first, you can always do it. A lot of times people say, well, if I have anything left, then I'll give it. No, 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 it doesn't work that way. Uh, if you give from what you have left, I can tell you this, your giving is probably less than that. Because we're experts at consuming it all, aren't we? Or aren't you, I should say, right? Uh, maybe? No, all of us are. We didn't have to go any farther than Genesis chapter 2 then to find our second principle and financial priority. And that's this, that God deems the family unit as the foundation stone of his plan for mankind. I'll tell you, one of the things that's amazing to me about that is there are three institutions that God has created, the family, human government, and the church. 
And the family is the only one that he created before sin entered the human experience. He considers the family unit to be very important. And that's why, sad to say, in the age in which we're living, the family unit is under such great attack. And uh, it, it's sad. It's, it's hard to, to handle it sometimes. My wife and I were watching a little blip on uh, the news about uh, a gal that's in prison in Russia. She's an NBA player. And she talked about how her wife was uh, trying to get her out. It's just like you see it everywhere on television these days. The family unit is under great attack. And because God deems the family unit as the foundation stone of his plan for mankind, the second priority is setting aside or saving to protect one's family, and that's our second privilege and priority. We've got to do what we can financially to protect our family. And then we move to Genesis chapter 6, and it's really carried out through the book of Numbers, the third principle, and that is this, that God wants our choices, our life choices, to bring glory to him. And so when it comes to spending, we're spending to protect and to preserve our testimony by being timely and honest and just with our creditors. It's important what people think of us, right? It's more important what they think of God. And when you name the name of Jesus Christ and are lacking in this area of being timely, honest, and just with your creditors, you are putting God's name and reputation on the line. I uh, thought about this uh, earlier this week. Integrity, trust, and a testimony all take two key ingredients to, to develop, time and righteousness. You don't get integrity or trust or a testimony instantly. We live in an instant society or culture, right? Uh, you don't get any of those things instantly. It takes doing the right thing over a, a long period of time in order to develop a good <coughs> testimony and to develop trust from another or your own integrity. The amazing thing about it is you can lose all three of those very quickly by doing the wrong thing. So it's very important how we spend our money. And then tonight we're going to look at our fourth principle and financial priority, and we have to go no further than uh, Exodus through the book of Deuteronomy to find this one. The fourth priority of, of stewardship is offerings. And this would be offerings above giving back to God. God wants his people to help those who are less fortunate. Let me repeat that. God wants his people to help those people who are less fortunate. In other words, he wants us to help the poor. And that's established in the nation of Israel. If you study the Old Testament law, you find that God established in the nation of Israel three tithes, uh, much, uh, much greater percentage of their income was commanded than what we're expected to give. 
There was the Levitical tithe, and the purpose of the Levitical tithe was to care for the full-time workers in the tabernacle or temple. Uh, the first tenth of the increase was to go for the Levites. Uh, they weren't given land to do farming and grow vegetables and raise geese and ducks, right? Uh, no, they're, they were to work full-time and helping the people in their worship of God. And so the people would tithe, and that would be the provision for the tribe of Levi. The second tithe is the festival tithe, and that was brought to a place of common worship or corporate worship where God's people would celebrate with a common meal, and that would demonstrate their oneness with God and with each other. It wouldn't be unlike a church fellowship that we would have or the communion table that we celebrate on occasion here. Then there was a third tithe, and I'll mention this, and we're going to make some application of it in a little bit. The charity tithe. The charity tithe, so now we're at 10% to the Levites, 10% to the festival tithe, and now a 10% tithe every third year to care for, for the less fortunate among them, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. And uh, what, what you can see in that charity tithe, really, is the compassionate heart of God. He cares for us. Israel was commanded to give this tithe. In other words, they were to intentionally set aside a portion of their increase. And they were to intentionally meet the needs of the unfortunate. And by doing this, the recipients would be able to see the compassionate care of God. That's how the Old Testament nation of Israel would glorify God. People would draw a right opinion of the person and character of God by the behavior or the care of the nation of Israel toward them. So this giving is also confirmed in New Testament truth where we are intentionally to manifest God's love by helping those in need. Let me give you a few verses and we'll make comment on these. James chapter 2 verses 15 through 17, it says this, listen close. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, you give them not those things which are needful to the body. What does it profit? What good is it? Even so, if it, ha if it hath not works, uh, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. We use that last verse a lot in other contexts. But really, it's in the context of, I see a brother or sister in need. I have the capacity to meet the need. And all I do is lip service? What good is that? How does that balance with the compassionate care of God? It doesn't, is the idea. 1 John 3, verses 17 and 18, it says this, But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? You say you're, you're one of God's children, but the love of God isn't there? It isn't present in your life? 
And how would somebody know that? It's because we had the ability to meet a need, but we didn't do it. My little children, John goes on to say, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul speaks to the carnal believers in Corinth. And by the way, they were good at practicing religion. He says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I become as sounding brass or tinkling sand. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. The point Paul's making here is, if that self-sacrificing love for the benefit of another isn't behind those activities doesn't mean a thing. You see, at the judgment seat of Christ, not only are you going to be judged for what you do in service and managing stewardship stuff, but the motivation behind it is going to be called into account. So we see that the Old Testament nation of Israel, God commanded them in this area. Giving was confirmed in the New Testament. It's also illustrated in the book of wisdom. The steward, as an instrument God uses to demonstrate his love, is illustrated through the book of Proverbs. In Proverbs 19, 17, and this is a verse I use a lot. I, I love this verse. It, it creates such a picture in my mind. It says this, He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth to the Lord, and that which he hath given will he pay him again. I want you to try to visualize that verse. Go back to that verse, would you, Scott? He that hath pity upon the poor. The idea of pity there is to stoop down. Really, it's, in the Hebrew language, it's a financial term. It's a, the ability to stoop down and, and provide something. He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth to the Lord. And that word lendeth is an interesting word. It means to join to or to unite. In other words, it's, it's allowing God to use you to meet the need of someone else. Right. And then the, the, it says that that which he hath given or that which he has benefited by an act of goodwill, will he pay him again. Now picture this, this verse. If you're walking through life with something of value and you come upon somebody who has a need, they're poor in the sense that they don't have the ability to meet their own needs. And so you take what you have and you bend down and you meet that need. You have pity upon the poor. And as you draw your empty hands back, that which you have lent to the Lord to meet that need, the Lord repays you. He fills your hands again. Amen. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. We're going to look at that verse again next week in, in the last uh, uh, principle, but it's such a beautiful picture. And I'll tell you, this is a, a learned behavior. I'll give you that much into next week's message. This is something that doesn't come natural to us. Right. We are so selfish by nature. Yeah. 
that it's hard to grasp this concept. But the point here is this. As we bend down and we meet the need of that person and we're drawing our empty hands back, how do we feel? Man, I feel good. I'm glad I did that. I saw their response. I realized that God used me to meet that need. I feel good about that. I want to do that again. I want to do that in a bigger way. It's a behavior that we have to learn. And so it's illustrated through the book of Proverbs here. God wants his people to help those who are less fortunate. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It, it, it's, it makes us happier to give than it does to receive. You know what? That runs counter to most of our thinking. We think, boy, if only I would get something. Really? I'll tell you, I'm a great grandpa these days. So I have great-grandchildren, grandchildren, kids. I, I love to give. Getting, eh. My wife hates to get. She's going to get after me for saying that. She'd rather give. You know why? There's more blessings in Sometimes it's even hard for us to give. Hard to take the benefit from somebody else. But you know what? This is God's plan. And it's a priority in the structure that he lays out for us. So the application here is being mindful and generous toward the needs of others. That's our fourth financial priority and privilege. So after managing well these first three responsibilities, we now have some financial freedom which allows these free will offerings. And so God asks that I consider the circumstances of others before I spend on personal pleasures or luxuries. It's a priority for us. Look at the priority that's, that's coming to light in these messages. God is first with our money. Taking care of our family is second. Preserving our testimony is third. Those are vital things. And now we move from the vital things to the things that really bring some blessing and happiness. Now we're to, to look at, for the needs of other folks and try to meet those needs. So there might be some people or mission efforts or ministry works that, that you should assist in that, you know, your own selfish goals are keeping you from. Let me give you a few passages of scripture here to challenge you and study a little bit. As Paul was sent on his missionary journey, he was exhorted to remember the poor. So he's going out doing ministry work, but he's exhorted here to remember the poor. Galatians 2, 9 and 10, it says, When James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen, and they to the circumcision. Only they would, that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. Don't forget the poor, he said. You're getting all engaged in, in ministry work, but don't forget the poor. 
You know what? You're going to find them everywhere if you're looking for them. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 to 3. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And when I come, whomsoever you shall approve by your letters, them will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. Oftentimes that verse is, verse is used to teach about tithing. But I really think it's out of context when we do that. Because what, what's happening here in, in 1 Corinthians 16 is a, a year earlier, Paul had exhorted this church and they had made a commitment that they were going to take up some offerings to help the believers in Jerusalem who were under great persecution, many of them losing their, their income ability and jobs and homes and so on. And so they were to take up an offering and Paul would send somebody by to take their offering to meet the needs of the people in Jerusalem. Now it's interesting to me what he says here. On the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him. So look at the, the order there in this. Uh, he puts together a plan of when you should do that. There needs to be a regular time that you intentionally set aside so that you can meet the needs of someone and you do it based on how God has prospered you. Boy, that helps us really maintain some perspective of who's helping us. In 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, the Macedonian church, uh, churches, not church, churches, gave sacrificially beyond their own ability as the Lord worked through them. And to me, that's, you know, it says they gave beyond their ability. Uh, how does that happen that you and I can give beyond our ability? Well, God has the ability, doesn't he? You see, it's God's ability that's going to help us be able to give offerings to help other people. If we have a willing heart, God's going to provide the resource so that we can engage in that. You say, how, how do you know that? Listen to 2 Corinthians 8. This is one of those passages that when you read it on the surface, it's a little confusing. I'll try to go through this in a, in a way that helps us understand it a little better. Paul says, herein I give my advice, for this is expedient for you, who have begun before not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. Now therefore, perform the doing of it that there was uh, that as there was a readiness to will so there may be a performance also out of that which you have in other words you made the commitment a year ago now let's do it okay for if there first be a willing mind it is accepted according to that a man hath and not according to that he hath not in other words uh, god doesn't expect you to give something you don't have but if you have a willing mind a willing heart we, we just might put something in your care that you can give. And here's why he does that. 
For I mean not that other men be eased and you burdened, but by an equality now that at this time your abundance may be a supply for their wants, that their abundance later also may be a supply then for your wants. Did you get that? Look, there might be an opportunity come before us and, and some people in here are going to say, wow, I'm glad he gives her that. And other people say, you know what, I just can't give anything right now. That's okay. That's okay. And so we give to meet that opportunity. And then later on, you have a need. And the people that were helped out back then, they're going to have an opportunity to help you out. And the whole point that he's making here is that's how God works. That's his methodology, if you would. Because he's the one that provides. It's God's program here. As it is written, he hath gathered much, had nothing over, and he that gathered little had no lack. But thanks be to God, which put the same earnest care into the heart of Titus for you. Now listen, folks. Listen to what he says here. This is God's program. This is the way of meeting needs. Now we're the giver. Later, we become the receiver. That's God's plan. And God burdens our heart or the hearts of people to give on different occasions. That's why it's important to walk with God. If you're not in a spiritual place where God can burden your heart about something, it's not God's problem. It's your problem. It's our problem. It's so important that we walk with God, especially in this area of stewardship. The point here is that God wants to bless his children to obey. He wants to bless us. He's going to talk about that next week in, in a much greater way. So what we're doing here is building this theological grid to help us make conscious principles, reason, choices. And what we do with this understanding in light of our responsibility is going to determine whether or not we hear well done, no good and faithful servant. You know, this morning, Wes in, in Sunday school, this is kind of bonus material. You won't find any slides on this, Scott. Um, he, he touched on one of the parables that so illustrates this point. And that's the parable of the, the bigger barns. Okay? Let me read it for you. It says in Luke chapter 12, verse 13, one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. 
said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? That's the parable. And here's the lesson. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Hmm. What a powerful warning he gives here. The, the issue is covetousness. It's the desire that we have to hold more. It's not the desire to earn more. It's the desire to hold more. I've got a, a, a great friend, longtime friend, uh, owned a big business, sold it. Uh, and he's, he's got a lot of money in a foundation. And he spends all of his time growing that wealth so he can give more and more and more away to help ministry. So it isn't having the wealth that he's warning about here. He's talking about having a strong desire to hold it. Covetousness. The, the desire to hold more. The parable here, it, there's a number of lessons that we can learn here. The first lesson I saw in here was the fact of an abundant blessing. In other words, a great crop. He had a bumper crop. And it was a greater blessing than he had ever experienced. And that's evidenced to us by his ability to contain it in his existing barns. He, he didn't have enough room. He had never possessed more in his lifetime. So you could ask this question, from whom did that blessing come from? Let me remind you of a couple of verses. James 1, 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. In Deuteronomy 8, verse 18, it says, But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. And that's pretty clear, isn't it? Doesn't take a lot of translation ability to understand that verse. Our wealth comes from God. So what guides the counsel of our heart? Is it our own experience and understanding? Or is it a conformity to the world and its way of thinking? Or is it the Bible, God's word, even in our financial affairs? You know what? We're limited by our own knowledge. So we see in this parable his plan was flawed. He had a misunderstanding of the purpose of the blessing. The storage of these things would last a long time. They would provide comfort, provision, satisfaction, and happiness for him. By the way, those are all self-centered thoughts and ideas. His plan does not indicate that he thought of the responsibilities, challenges, difficulties, and dangers it may bring, nor did he think of the opportunities that it provided. He was drunk with covetousness. His plan was short-sighted. This is the real tragedy here. He has no strategy beyond storage. That's what covetousness is. Why was he getting that crop, and what was he going to do with it? I'm going to show you. For whom? For what? Wealth building for himself was his cause. It was an end in itself. It was not the means to a greater end. Remember, Jesus told us to lay up treasure in heaven. He wants us to build treasure, and he wants us to invest it in the right places. 
without a long-range plan, how would we possibly know that we have grown from provision to surplus? If you're not managing the resources, how would you know that? How would you know if you had enough and not, now you've got more than enough? And what are we going to do with the more than enough? How much is enough? His plan was foolish, according to verse 20. He had no consideration for the length of his life, for the one who was the giver and taker of life. His biblical perspective of possessions was warped. The stuff would be passed along to someone else, and he would lose everything, even the possibility of a heavenly reward. So beware of covetousness, he says. A misunderstanding would result in foolish behavior. And the main point is this. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. God is greatly concerned with what we do with the resources he entrusts us. We're not to be selfish. We're to be motivated by the opportunity to advance his cause. And that's why we're managing his stuff. The priorities we've seen in scripture, first, give back to God to honor him. That's a faith test for us. Second, save in order to protect your family. That's a <coughs> discipline test for us. Third, spend to preserve your testimony to your creditors and community. That's a responsibility test. And then offering for others to be a blessing and project an accurate opinion of the picture and character of our loving God. You know, when I was a, a little kid, I, believe it or not, as an old man, I can remember some things when I was little. And early in my elementary school career, we had show and tell. Anybody remember that? Show and tell. That's really what we're to be doing today. We're to be showing and telling a world in need about our God. Amen. And when we demonstrate it with good stewardship, our words have great significance. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for 